And now, weighing in out of the blue corner, Josh the Pong Thompson. 100% and on the other mic, he weighs in from the red corner, Big John McCarthy. All right, here we are for weighing in with John McCarthy and the real punk, Josh Thompson, sitting there looking just dapper as hell. We've got Podcast Dave on the controls. You can catch us on Google Play, YouTube, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all other apps. We're on all of them. And if you so desire and you would like to wear a T-shirt like I am wearing right now, which absolutely is fantastic and incredibly comfortable, you can go to ProWrestlingTees.com. Look for weighing in and you can get 20% off with the code podcast to get one of these cool t-shirts. So I hope you get one of these. We want to thank you guys for what you've been doing for us, giving us thumbs up and subscribing. Just keep on doing that. We keep continuing to grow and we appreciate you. Yeah, that was What's way up, better. That was way better than I ever did. <laughs> <laughs> I've been butchered. Dave's been right, man. I've been butchering it for months. Oh, shit. That's horrible. Um, yeah, because you don't want one of these pictures. I have an old man here with like an old hippie I was say, dude. What is that? And he's flipping somebody off. I mean, he's probably giving it to podcast Dave. He's giving him the bird. But anyways, it's, yeah, here. It's one of those old hippie-like shirts. There's nothing wrong with a hippie. No, no, no. I oh, love I, it. I, it's like, dude, it looked totally different while it was wrinkled on your chin. Yeah. <laughs> now I see it. <laughs> so, um, all right. Well, hey, let's uh, let's get into it. We didn't we skipped over something um, from last Saturday's show. We wanted to talk about it a little bit today, and that was the fight. Yeah, we if- skipped over it on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this is more your area of expertise on what you maybe think. That's might- why we skipped over uh, it. <laughs> I, people want to hear you because after reading the comment section, they don't like what I have to say. So ah. let's let's go ahead and get into it. Um, I'm sorry. I, his name is skipping my mind. Sorry. Yeah, Maxi. Maxi. So Maxi. Max. Yeah, I decided after the second round to quit on the stool, and um, you know, I actually went back over it and watched it again yesterday, and I gotta tell you, I feel like I know it sucks. I know in that situation, it's a shitty situation to be in as a coach mm-hmm. and as a fighter. But here's the Both. thing: the young man took a fight on ten days' notice. He shouldn't have taken it if he wasn't in shape, but I think he thought very highly of his skills. He thought for sure with the opponent and the way, and I could see why he thought that. His opponent just stalks forward, not a lot of movement, doesn't look like he hits very hard. You know, Decent wrestler, but not as good a wrestler as he was. And just all those things, he's like, oh, I'm going to get this takedown, I'm going to get to the back, get the submission, I could you know, finish this guy probably in the first or second round. I can understand why he took the fight. I can also understand why he decided to quit on the stool. It was not going his way. He knows what's in him as far as conditioning and cardio, and he knew that he was shut down. At the end of that second round, he took some nice body shots, the end of that second round. And that right there, I I honestly believe it took enough out of him for when he sat on that stool, there wasn't enough time. That 60 seconds was not enough time for him to recover and go back out there. And that was just great work by his opponent. And I, I thought I honestly got to tell you, I believe it was the right call. There was nothing that I thought was there was nothing good going to come of it going into the third round. Yeah. Let me ask you, let me ask you this as you know the fighter. Have you ever been in the position? And, and you can ask this of everyone, because if you've most guys have been there, I've even been there, not you know, where people were seeing, but you have 
You've given everything that you have. Your arms are so heavy, you can't lift them. They hurt just hanging by your side. Your legs feel like lead, and it feels like you're having a hard time even controlling your balance. Your heart rate is at about 185 to 200, and it's just not coming down. It's getting down to 170 in that break moment that you have, and now you know you've got to go back out. It's a miserable feeling. Yep. And knowing, you know, the shots that he took, you know, that you got to figure in that second round, every judge gave that round 10-8 to wow. Austin Hubbard. Every judge, because they saw, and one of the things that Robert Drysdale was saying was, look, at my fighter wasn't injured. And he was right in the fact that he wasn't injured at that moment in the break. He didn't have cuts. He didn't have any type of hematoma. He wasn't knocked down with a big shot that rattled his brain, but he did take big shots. He took big shots to the head during that round and exactly what you're saying. You look at the last 30 seconds of that round, maybe 20, he took some huge shots to the body and you know when you are dying for air yeah. and then you can't breathe it, and it just doesn't all of a sudden because the bell rings, it doesn't just come back. It's right. those moments that you're even walking towards your corner and sitting on the stool, it's just not there for you. Here, here's the problem with the entire thing. And, and I said this before because you know there's this whole you know perception that this doesn't happen that often. It doesn't happen that often when you get into the higher levels of fights. When you get into the you know the UFC or Bellator or you know one FC and even you know ones like PFL, those guys have fought enough usually that you don't see it happen that often, but you do see it a lot in grassroots and in regionals. And it's a matter of, Hey, the fighter is once they have shut off in their mind that they have a chance of winning, trust me, they don't have a chance of winning. And the real question here was what Robert Drysdale did and what, this is what I want people to consider that 60 seconds of time that Robert Drysdale has is his time. Mm -hmm. It's his time with his fighters. And it's very important, those 60 seconds. It's really 50 that you'll get. But that time, you know, we, we look at it as an official. I look at it and I, I try not to interfere with that corner during that time. Because if I'm interfering with one corner, that means I'm giving an advantage to the other corner because they're not having interference in what they're communicating with each other. If I bring a ringside physician in to look at the fighter, I'll always tell the ringside physician, hey, check him out, look at him. If you need to interfere with the corner, let me know so I can call a timeout on the break and I can remove both corners so there is no advantage to either side. I'll give you time with the fighter, and once you're done with the fighter, I'll bring the corners back because it's all about being fair. So this is this 60 seconds, we'll say, is Robert Drysdale. And he does the right thing. Yeah. Eventually, he's the guy that tells the inspector, my guy doesn't want to fight. Yeah. That's what tells the inspector to look at Mark Smith and tell him he doesn't want to fight. Mark Smith goes over there to ask him. He says no and calls the fight like he should. But the whole process of it, when it happens... What people are dealing with and what they're having a problem with is as soon as Max said, call it, call it, Robert, you know, I'm done, call it. And he keeps saying it. 
what Robert Drysdale is trying to do is get his fighter's mind back yeah. in the game, back on track, and back to a point where he believes you know, he, he can't feel what Max is feeling. He can't feel that. But he's been there himself to a point and knows and believes in Max that, hey, you, I know you have the skill set to submit this guy. You just have to get that right moment. And, you know, people are upset with the fact that he didn't call it right away. Okay, I will tell you, as soon as your fighter tells you, call it, I'm done, he's done. It's You're not going to talk him back. Once their mind is, is off and they have decided, this guy's too much for me right now, I don't have anything left. It's the same thing that happened with Raquel Pennington when she fought Amanda Nunez for the championship mm -hmm. in Brazil, if you remember. Yeah. And, and she told her corner between the fourth and fifth round, I'm done. Yeah. You know, and they, they, you know, they talked her through it and she went back out there and what happened? Yeah. She got finished. Why? Because this had shut off and that is everything. And so you have to look and say, am I going to be able to talk? There's times when a corner can actually push their fighter to that next level and create that little bit that gets them into that and, and makes them fight. And then there's times when you look and say, this isn't one of them. Your guy has shut it off and you, and you got to read it. And, but eventually Robert did, cause he's the guy that actually told the inspector. So, you know, take all the heat off of Robert Drysdale. He didn't do anything wrong. He may not have done it in the time frame that people are going to be happy with, but Max didn't go back out and fight. And yeah. part of the reason was it was Robert who told the inspector. Yeah, I'm not going to criticize Robert Drysdale at all. He did no. exactly what I would have wanted my coach to do, and that was, hey, are you sure you want to make this mistake? That's what I want to – I, I, mean, <laughs> I love I, I love, I love the way you just said that. Are you sure you want to make this mistake? Because yeah. was, it, was it a mistake? But here's the thing, and I'm going to play devil's advocate here because I've had experience with this, not by myself, but I've cornered somebody okay. and been in the corner when somebody named Mike Van Arsdale tried to quit several times and went out there and smashed someone in the third round after telling us, throw the towel in, Bob, throw it in, I'm done. He walked back after the corner in the WFA. He, after getting kicked to the body, he's like, came back. He's like, I'm not going back out there. Throw the towel in, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. Go Goes out there in the third round, just smashes the guy. Yep. Certain people, I think you're, you're, you have to know your fighter. We've yeah. always sent Mike Van Arsdale back out there. But the problem is, in like situation when he fought Randy Couture, he was done. We should have. He just went out there and gave it up. And he yep. did it. He did it again after that fight as well in another organization. And uh, but he had also aged quite a bit since then. I want to say he was like like 38, 39 when the WFA thing was going on. But when he got to the UFC, he was 42, 43, something like that. Anyways, um, different, different. Your condition is way different. I got to just tell you yes. from 37 to 38, from 42 <laughs> to 43. It's way different. Somewhere in that range, it's different. Anyways, um, so I can play devil's advocate for both ways. But if he... I thought Drysdale handled it perfectly. He talked to his fighter, said, "Are you sure you want to do this? You're five. Basically, was he five and zero? Oh? Max was five and zero. Oh. And yep. it's like, hey, I know you can get through this. I know you can gut it out. There's also a game plan that goes behind it. If you're exhausted and tired, circle, stay away. Circle, stay away. When you feel like you've recovered, okay, let's focus on getting that takedown. And if you can't get it, then maybe we reevaluate this. I can throw the towel in. I can yell, okay, it's done. If you, if I see that you're taking too many shots, then I can do it." But I would say I would try to come up with a game plan like that if I was his corner as well. I would have said a bunch of different things during that time. 
I think I think Robert Drysdale did the the right exact thing. I'm not knocking him. I will not knock him. He gave his fighter an opportunity to say, "Hey, you know what? You're right. That just came out of my mouth, and I wasn't thinking properly." And and his fighter continued to say, "I'm done." And he looked to he looked to the commission and said, "Okay, he's done." You can't knock him for that. You know, he no, gave his fighter an opportunity, and a chance. And I, I don't know why people are criticizing this situation at all. We've seen other fighters because get sent back. The out reason there. why they are criticizing is because they heard it. This is what you get sometimes when you don't have that fan, you know, experience yeah. with all the noise and everything. These are the things that you know you you hear and stuff. Like I, I, I'm going to give you two examples. All right, two of the funniest examples. Each one, and one that I was just, I'm listening to, I'm the referee of the fight, so I'm listening to it. It's a, it's a championship fight. Emmanuel Newton was the champion of Bellator. He was the light heavyweight champion. He was fighting Linton Vassell. Mm -hmm. And Linton Vassell is just putting it on Emmanuel Newton. He is just tearing him up. He's, he's on the ground, just crushing him with a heavy pressure, everything. And it gets between the third and fourth round he gets up off of the mat. He goes back to the stool, and Antonio McKee puts the stool down. Boom, right? And Emmanuel, I'm done. I'm exhausted. I'm done, right? And, and Antonio goes, hey, take a deep breath. He goes, just take a deep breath. I need you to just calm down. I'm done. I'm done. Antonio smacks him. <laughs> he open hands. He says, let me tell you something. You're always talking to all these people in the universe. And all these things, well, you better gather those sons of bitches up right now because you ain't quitting nothing. And Emmanuel looks at him and goes, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, and those are the things that happened. But the funniest one I ever saw was in Japan, there was a fight that Bob Sapp is fighting <laughs> Jerome LeBanner. And it's in Japan, K1. I'm one of the referees. And he has, the rules are Bob Sapp is going to fight Jerome LeBanner, first round kickboxing. Yeah. If it gets past the first round, it's going to go second round MMA. Yeah. Third round kickboxing, fourth round MMA. And so Jerome LeBanner is lighting Bob up in the first round. He barely survives it through leg kicks and everything. He gets back to the corner. In his corner is Maurice Smith yep. and Sam Greco from Australia. Now, if you know Sam, yes. <laughs> Sam is a madman. Uh, okay. And so Bob gets back. He's, all right, and the the Japanese are they're taking off the kickboxing gloves and they're putting on the MMA gloves and you know and Sam's telling now it's our turn now you're gonna go you're gonna take him down I want you to get on top of him you're gonna beat the hell out of him right exactly <laughs> right? so the OJ Simpson glove doesn't oh, fit this is, this is the best. <laughs> Bob Sapp goes out there he grabs a hold of Jerome Banner boom they fall on the ground he falls into mount and he proceeds to just just do this crazy Hammer smash face. Hulk smash thing on top of Jerome. And all Jerome LeBanner is doing is this, right? And Bob Sapp goes for three minutes doing the Hulk smash and can't get rid of him. Oh. So now the, the, the bell goes off and Bob Sapp gets off. He stumbles over to his corner, right? Greco's put the stool down. He's, I'm done. I quit. Get me out of here. Sam Greco smacks. You're not quitting anything. You're going back out there. So now you've got the Japanese are trying. They're taking off the MMA gloves and they've got to get the kickboxing gloves back on. 
And if you have ever seen an OJ Simpson moment in your life, <laughs> when you see a five foot one inch Japanese guy trying to get a boxing glove on a man that's 370 pounds, displaying his hand out like this as much as it don't fit the same glove that he had on just earlier. He's going, it doesn't fit. Give me a new glove. It doesn't, it doesn't fit. fit. And there, now there's two Japanese guys on each hand. Then there's three and they're trying to oh, force geez. it. took five minutes, five oh, minutes to get the gloves on. Right. And Bob Sapp ended up going back and forth between his corners. He took more abuse from Maurice Smith and Sam Greco, <laughs> but he made it through the fight. So these things do happen and, and they can be comical, but this instance with Max, I honestly look and say, Robert didn't do anything wrong. The right call was made by the inspector and the official at Mark Smith. And I think it was best that Max didn't yeah. go out for a third round. This is a young fighter. He's young in his career. He's got a long ways to go. So he got a loss. Big deal. Yeah. Hopefully he'll learn from the situation. And one of the things he'll learn is, hey, just because someone looks like they're going to yeah. be easy to beat doesn't mean they're going to be easy to beat. You better take everybody serious. I mean, this goes back into, though, like, hey, this was his opportunity, his chance. I'm sure there was a lot of hype around him because, I mean, that's all they seemed to be talking about was him when he walked out to the cage. Oh, yeah. They well, he was the favorite in the fight. Yeah. And so when a guy they, walking in with five days notice, basically, yeah. favorite in the fight. And so when he got out there, I was expecting, oh, I'm just going to put this kid away. And he came out calm, composed, was kind of flashy, turned a little bit, sidekicks, like a lot of good stuff. But then the cardio kicked in, or I shouldn't say oh. didn't kick in. <laughs> the conditioning didn't kick in, and he ended up uh, struggling. And even towards the end of the first round, he ended up struggling. And you saw the look on his face get a little bit more serious as he started taking shots at the end of the first. Yep. In that second round, he took a lot of clean shots. Oh, and yeah. that's what started concerning me because, look, there's no reason knowing this kid can have a long career. I think he's going to end up just going back to the drawing board and going, look, I embarrassed myself. I, I thought I thought more highly of myself thinking I could just walk through everyone. But at the in that league, doesn't matter, UFC, whatever, especially like in the UFC, you cannot take anyone for granted. Not one person. doesn't matter where they're from or what they – I mean – Look at uh, look at uh, Roxanne Modafari and Macy Barber. Would you have ever thought yeah. that fight would end? And I know there was the the knee right, the knee injury, and uh, but you would have never have thought that that fight would have been the way it would have went. You just never know what's going to happen. And so when someone takes a fight on ten days' notice, you better be prepared because that person is going to hundred percent give it everything they got. The fact that they're in the UFC fighting in this promotion, they've been waiting for this, and they're not going to let it go by. And he took that for granted, thinking it was just another opportunity. Oh, I'm just going to go in there, show up. And I'm a favorite already. Now here I am, my first fight. You can't do that. And I've been in that situation where everything's heavy. You know, KJ Noons did it to me. I just felt like just he everything was super heavy. My conditioning wasn't on point. I don't know if I overtrained for the fight, but something wasn't right. Same thing happened with um, Pat Healy. I mean, he was enormous, you know, and just having to carry the weight of him. And I felt like I overtrained that fight as well. And it was just flat and nothing was there. I broke two ribs in my sternum in the first round. It was just one of those fights that, man, nothing's going right. I was able to ink him out, but it was one of those things where it wasn't going my way. And you felt extremely tired and exhausted. But I also had way more experience at that and time that, in my career. And that's the one thing, what experience will do. And this is when you're talking fighting with people. When you're young like Max, mm -hmm. you don't really understand where to find rest. 
You yeah. don't know in the fight how to find, I, I need to rest. And so his idea of, of that is to put his back against the cage. Sometimes that's not what you're going to do. Okay? Mm -hmm. That's not the way to get your rest. But that's because he doesn't have the experience. And it, this is why we want guys to have a lot of fights before they get into the bigger shows because, you know, all that experience will pay off for you when you do make it to that big show because you could be facing someone that's going to test you and put you in positions and do things that are going to take every bit of the knowledge you have and what you've acquired over all of those prior fights. You're going to have to use all of it to get past this opponent. You know, that's what experience does. Yeah. Let me give you another example where I didn't come out on top and it worked against me was the clay Guida fight is yeah. I came in as a huge favorite and it was the yes. very first event in California. Um, you know, it was Clay Guida. I'm like, ah, oh, he's just a wrestler. He's going to step into a guillotine. I'll triangle him, whatever. He's going to just be on top. I'm good off my back. I'm good at getting up. Little did I know the motherfucker trained hard, you know, and we've seen, and we've seen it now over the years, how good he is condition wise. You saw it this last weekend when he fought Buzz Bobby saw. Green and I, he's a, he's a guy that I just took for granted thinking like, okay, I'm going to walk through this guy. And as the fight went on, everything got heavy. I got slow. I got tired. I got frustrated, you know, anger and all these other things that came through me and didn't work out. And, but here's the thing. If Max does what I did, it changed my career from then on. I was a different fighter because I was like, how in the fuck did I lose to this guy that no one's ever heard of? And I'm glad it, it catapulted his career, but it also changed mine and catapulted mine into in another direction that I needed it to. So it's, it's a lesson to be learned, I think, by Max. Yep. Um, and I think obviously this won't be the last we've seen of him. There's a lot no. of hype around him and, you know, he trains with Drysdale. I just think there was, it was a little bit of, a little bit of arrogance being five and zero, oh, a little bit of being young, young, dumb, full of cum and a little bit of, Hey, I coming into, I'm coming in the UFC as a favorite against this guy who I don't think has anything to offer, but little does he know all these guys have something to offer. Yeah. You could, you know, and I ran into that same situation with Bobby Green where I didn't think he was going to have his chance with me, but yet here he was still standing in the cage in the round three and cut me and I was like, there's no way I'm losing this fucking fight. And I just, I did enough not to, I did enough not to win. That was one of those yeah. fights. Like, oh, I'm just going to touch him, touch him. I'm going to get it. You know, no big deal. And then I lost it. And those are situations you learn from. And I learned a lot from that situation as well. Those are two big fights in my career that I feel like I fucked up. You know, I gave the fights away or I just, I just didn't prepare myself properly. And I think Max is going to learn a lot from that as well. I think, I honestly think he's going to come out a, better more knowledgeable fighter overall maybe not you know in technique mm -hmm. but in understanding hey i take everybody serious i realize that if i'm going to take a fight i need to be in shape for the fight because this fight may not go the way i think it's going to go and it may go the whole way and i need to be in shape for the whole thing yeah I agree. See, it's the old Vince Lombardi thing. You know that I hate the word cowards, but when yeah. you say, you know, fatigue makes cowards out of everyone, fatigue will affect everyone. Yep. Now it does affect certain people quicker than others, but when you're tired, it takes away everything that you are. Yeah. You don't think properly. You don't react properly. Yep. Your body doesn't move. All the things that you thought you could do are just not there anymore. And yep. I think, I think he realized that when he sat down on that stool, he was like, look, I'm just not getting off. There's nothing I can do right now. And I think I honestly believe that it probably it will long it'll elongate his career. Maybe it'll frustrate him now, but maybe it's a stepping stone for him having a longer career because he didn't take a lot of damage being young, as well as 
motivated him again to, hey, I'm not the best guy in this in this thing. I just fought this no-name guy, somebody who is sure he's in the UFC, but I should have beat. And it's going to probably drive him, I think, even more. Yeah. Um, what was the other that we were going to talk about? Dustin Poirier and Hooker. Oh, that's a good fight. Ah. Come on, baby. Who, all right, who do you got? I go with Dustin, man. I'm sorry. I'm a Dustin. Yeah, yeah. I'm a Dustin fanboy. I'm going the same way. I think Dustin. I I look at this, and, and you know, as far as you can look at Dan Dan Hooker's a good fighter. Yeah. And his his fight against Felder was a good fight. Mm-hmm. I thought you know I actually thought Felder won it though. Okay. I, we, Felder, I think we disagreed on that, but Felder got it in the end. But it was a close fight, so I don't have a problem that uh, Hooker ended up getting the call on it. Yeah. He's really good in the stand-up his ground game is solid he's a solid all-around fighter i just don't see where he's had the experience and this is when we talk about that veteran experience dustin poirier has fought the very best he sometimes lost to the very best yeah but he has fought the very best and he has beaten guys you look at the resume that he has put together of guys that he has faced in MMA, in the UFC, Dan Hooker just his his list of guys just doesn't match up the same. Yeah. He's fought, you know. He, he, I think his last loss was to Edson Barbosa, which is you know Edson's a great fighter, great stand up fighter. But if I put Edson and Barbosa against Dustin Poirier, you're going to tell me that you're going to take Edson Barbosa? No, come on, can't. And it's just and, and I know that's MMA math. I'm just looking the overall game. Dustin, when it comes to the grappling game, man, he's slick with certain things. His yeah. guillotine, yeah. you need to be very careful with your neck. Yeah. And if you're gonna try to take that fight to the ground, in fact, Khabib. I was gonna say go ask Khabib. Look at that, look at that, man. I tell you, Khabib, you saw him going to the side a couple of times to try to relieve pressure, which is telling you, oh, that sucker's on tight. It's yeah. working. He's actually putting his body in a position where he knows. Uh, this guy can get position on me if he's smart and let's go with this. But the whole thing that that guillotine is a game changer for Dustin Poirier. His ground game is good. He moves really well on the ground. He's got good pressure on the ground. So I'm not saying Hooker's not good on the ground. I just think that Poirier's actually got a little bit more of a dangerous game on the on the ground than Hooker. And then I look at the stand-up. At 155, I have not seen Dustin Poirier being chinny. I thought he was at 145. Yeah. At 145, I thought he wasn't able to take the shots because he was losing too much weight. There yeah, we go back enormous. to that weight loss stuff. Yeah. He's, he's enormous. Yeah. He's he's big. Uh, people but. maybe don't realize how big he is because he's standing in there against other guys that are enormous as well. But he's <laughs> he's a big guy. Look, Hooker is when I when I go back to the Felder fight. I feel like the whole fight was changed because Felder's eye swelled up pretty early. And when that, that changed the dynamic of the fight for sure. I'm not taking anything away, anything away from hooker, but that's that sticking that jab and footwork and all the movement. He's got it. And he's going to need to use that to stick, to stay away from Dustin boy. But if the fight goes to the ground, I'm giving to Dustin all day long, especially if Dustin gets on top, um, yeah. the dominant, the control, the strength, the, the sheer size of him. I want to see them face to face. Cause I haven't really seen how big, Hooker is. Hooker's big. He's tall, he's big. but I yeah. don't physically see him being thick. Maybe I'm well, wrong. He, he's got big, broad shoulders. His legs are, you know, kind of like yours, thin. <laughs> Chicken <laughs> he legs. Doesn't carry, Chicken well, legs. He doesn't carry a lot of weight in the lower end, but he, 
He's he's broad on top. He's a big guy. The speed he's very similar. The speed of his jab, though, mixed up with his speed and his and his cross, I think he's able if he's able to keep Dustin on the end, I think he's got a chance. But the problem is we saw that with the Felder fight in the fourth and the fifth round, he started slowing down. And when because you're trying to fight at a distance. And when you're doing that, there's a lot of movement, a lot of running, a lot of sticking and moving, sticking and moving, and landing the clean shots, maybe mixing it up. Um, a little bit of like clinch work and this and that, but I don't think he wants to be there with Dustin in the clinch because that potentially could lead to a takedown. It's gonna it's gonna be a tough task for him. But I will say this: there's a coming out party almost every time, and this could be it for him. And I thought the Felder fight was a coming out party for him, but the confidence I think now is at an all time high. You heard I've heard it in his interviews. I've heard it after the fight. He you know he he knows what he wants and he's focused. He seems like he's extremely focused. He's going to need to be on his bike though to stick to stay away from that power from Dustin, and he's got this. He's got the stiff jab and he's got the reach and the range. I think he does. I got to see them. Like I said, I got to look at the stats on length and arm and distance and stuff. But Dustin's not small either. Oh, so I just I think the two of them, man, it's going to make for a fucking amazing fight. And I got to tell you, there's not many fights that I've been looking forward to. You know, I mean, as of lately, Charles was excited to have fights. Period. But the fact is, like, there what there hasn't been a lot of fights I've been looking forward to. This is definitely the one I've been looking forward to probably the most. Yeah, this is a, a great matchup. I just look at it, you know, that whole coming out party, possibly. I yeah. don't see it. Happening. And the real question is, Dustin is coming. He hasn't fought since that loss to Khabib. And Hooker's coming off of multiple wins, a really, you know, and a, a nice close win against Paul Felder. But it was a you know good performance overall. So he's riding momentum. We'll see if Dustin can get that momentum back. I just think that right now, the guy that I've seen in the past, Dustin Poirier, is just a little bit better everywhere than Dan Hooker. Yeah, but I won't be surprised if Hooker's able to pull it off. I, I'm, I'm no. saying I think I think Dustin's gonna. That's do why it. it's a good fight. Yeah, I think Dustin's gonna do it. But I gotta tell you, Hooker just with the speed and. Dustin tends to sometimes just stalk and throw, stalk and throw. If Dustin can, if if Hooker can just stick and stick and move and stick and move, but can he do it for five rounds? That's hard, yeah, man. If you go back and you look at you know a couple of Dustin's last couple of fights, look at the you know the Eddie Alvarez fight, yeah, the Justin Gaethje fight, yeah, the Max Holloway fight. Okay, he's good, man. He was a oh, dude. Just look look at that that list of names right there. This yeah, is what yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah. You know, when you're talking about the guys that he has been in the cage with, it's hard. That's a that's a it is. that's a that's a lot of freaking quality fighters that that man has stood across from. It is hard, but then I also go back to like look at Tony Ferguson, Justin Gaethje. I would have thought Tony would have won. I mean, I get, I understand, but I mean, Justin or uh, Gaethje kind of ran away with that fight. And when he oh, ran, he took like, the, yeah, took he ran thing clean. Yeah, he took it clean. I'm saying like, but it wasn't what we expected. And I'm not saying that Hooker's going to do that to Dustin, but I'm just in my mind. I'm thinking things don't always go the way we talk about, <laughs> no. you know, and that was one of those fights. And I mean, when you're talking about, look at all the guys that Tony had faced, look at all the guys that Gaethje had faced. But I felt like Tony had the longer resume of guys, maybe because he was undefeated, but Gaethje's fought all the best guys as well. I just thought Tony was going to get to it and do it. Um, the same thing can be said for Dustin. Like he's fought all the best guys. He's fought the, you know, and he's walked away with them. He's beat them dominantly, you know. But Hooker, can, like I said, this could be his coming out party. We could see. I'm leaning with Dustin still. I'm sorry. I'm still leaning with Dustin. <laughs> I'm just trying to pose both sides, you guys. I'm just try, <laughs> I'm trying to show sides. you guys I'm not a homer. 
Um, <laughs> you know, this has, you, you, you've always got to appreciate a fight where you can you can make a valid, you know, statement for each guy in why this guy's going to win the fight. That's the kind of fights you always want to see because, you know, there is that, oh, man, you know what? As good as this guy is, this guy could beat him. You know, and that's what you have here. Dan Hooker has proven to be an outstanding fighter. Yeah. You know, he's going to he's going to give a problem to anyone. I just I just personally look at it. This is not me being a homer. I'm not a Dustin homer. I like Dustin, but I just think that overall his everything that he does. I just like what he does just a little bit more. And I think he's just a little bit more dangerous in every category than Dan is. Yeah, true. But we can't do that with my math. Nope. It's all, that's why we fight the fight. This that is, is why you fight the fight. All right, my man. Well, I guess what are we going to do now? Uh, fan questions? Let's do it. <clears throat> uh, so there's quite a few follow-up to your to the whole DC and Stipe <laughs> thing. <laughs> oh, I could. I can't believe that. Oh, you don't those? say. You don't say. Yeah, you don't Go say. ahead. So the, so the first one is asked in quite a few ways. Um, what's up with nobody talking about the iPokes? Um, from DC uh, <laughs> and his cheating tactics is basically what people are asking. Cheating tactics. Wow. And people just need to realize this happens in our sport. It happens all the time in our sport. The, and Rogan talks about it all the time as well it, while he's calling the fights. Until we figure out a way to close the gloves, which all you can do really is start using gloves that are curved a little bit more. That's all you can do. And just refs can just start emphasizing, hey, you need to keep your hands closed. That's all you can do. Otherwise, we're going to have to start wearing gloves a little bit more of a closure. Um, or you know, We just can't change it. We can't change the eye pokes. Sure, maybe DC needs to stop sticking his hands out. I, I get it. But look, let's, that has nothing to do with athleticism, you guys. Calm down. Okay, I was right. John was wrong. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Okay? Wow. <laughs> there it comes back again. Yeah. Uh, you well, know, the, the, uh, let's, let's take a look at the eye poke situation real quick. We did put in, you know, I was the one that came up with the rule of, hey, you could not extend your fingers out towards your opponent like it was a pitchfork. And it was John Jones that was the one that was doing it all the time. That's where, you know, the rule really came from was, all right, we, you got a guy that's got an 84 inch reach and then he's just, he's taking and putting those out there. So you've got to try to move around it. Well, I understand why he's doing it, but it's not good for the sport you're always going to have the position of referees are going to try to not take points away from a fighter with their hands. That's why they'll tell them, keep your fingers up, keep your hand closed. The only time that I even got close to calling someone for that was Josh Koscheck. And I told him, you do it one more time. I'm going to, I'm going to take points from you. And then he got knocked out. So who was that against? Uh, it was a Woodley. uh, no, Mauricio Alonso, I want to say, in oh. uh, Bellator. It was, it was Josh's only fight. That's right. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. He was not well prepared. Yeah, he just, yeah, I think a lot of things changed after uh, his broke his orbital. He was never the same after the GSP fight where he broke his orbital, in sparring and training, all those things. So, you know, it's one of those, it may be that, you know, we need to start looking back and maybe go back and start changing the rule to, hey, you cannot have your hands extended with open hands because the, the real problem is guys parry their hand, you know, it's to yeah. parry a punch and you want to relax. You don't want to have a clinch fist because that tends to tense you up. So there's a lot of negatives towards trying to put a rule in that is 
negatively going to affect all fighters, even though maybe it would help with the eye poke situation. I feel like, I guess, before Coker came to Bellator, they used to have gloves with Everlast. And the yep. Everlast gloves were very curved. Yep. And I feel like those are probably the best style of gloves to have to avoid. No doubt about it. To have the eye pokes avoided. The same thing yeah. with the, the old pry gloves when I, I still have a, my pair is um, my stole. They had a curve pair. to them. They had a curve to them and they were extremely curved. So there was less eye pokes. I, that, I think you have to start going to that if you want, especially in the, in the, the title fights. You'd hate to see someone get poked in the eye and like with DC and Stipe and now all of a sudden your champion's out for a long time like Stipe's been, I guess, apparently from the eye poke situation. And yep. also it just changes the dynamic of the fight, you know? Yeah. So well, and most people don't, you know, I was the one that I got John Awano was the one that started making. Yeah. The, the, fir the first gloves in the UFC were boxergenic gloves. That's like the, the neoprene the ones. The neoprene, exactly. I have, I have a pair still. I so do I. I have a pair. <laughs> so when when the Fertitas bought the UFC, they they asked. They said, "All right, you know, wh where do we get the gloves?" I said, "Well, it's Boxer Jenny." He says, "Well, we want someone to make gloves just for the UFC." And so I went to all of the glove companies: Harbinger, Century, which did Chuck Norris gloves, all of them, and you know, contacted him, said, "Hey, would you be willing to make you know gloves for you well for the UFC?" There was only one person that came back. It was John Owano. Saying, wow. I'll make the gloves. Yeah. And so he started making them. And, you know, the, the gloves, we really, you know, all we talked about, was we made two different styles, one that had a thumb strap, one that was open with it. But then we had the Randy Couture situation with Vitor Belfort, where Randy, Vitor throws a left hook. It basically misses, but it slices Randy's eyelid open. And we have a championship yeah. turn and be given to one fighter based upon an equipment failure because it was there was the way the glove was made it was pinched together and that little corner kind of cut him like out. a razor blade yep, yep. it was uh, where they stitched it together at the outside on the yep, pinky, right, right at the right outside the right at the pinky on the knuckle right yep. there i remember that. And, and that sliced his eye ringside physician comes in and says oh we, this fight's over because it sliced it long ways against the eyelid yeah and so you know would go back to John Iwano. He would change him and everything. But the, you know, when century came back and took that con that away because the UFC did a deal with century and those things are straight stiff boards. Now they have the opening that's different now, but th they make it to where you have to work towards closing your hand. Yeah. And so it's easy to have your hand open because it almost forces your hand open where it should be that the glove is actually making you force your hand to be open to grapple that should be the way the gloves are being made and until someone makes it to where it's mandatory that the gloves have a curve of so many degrees we're going to have this problem my favorite gloves were the strike force gloves because they were the fairtex ones fairtex. so they were real thin in the padding and the knuckle but they yep. were also a little bit heavier around the wrist they're much easier to grapple with. And they were much easier to grapple with. And I fucking yep. loved them. Like there was there was no bulkiness on the front. Like when I was when I went back to the UFC and I was like trying to grow, like, this is horrible. Yeah, it was so bad. And I felt like I feel like we had a ton of knockouts because of them, but we also had a ton of finishes submission-wise in strike force because of them. So continuing on with the Stipe and DC questions. Um <laughs> 
So a few people ask. Yes, Stipe is a better athlete than DC. <laughs> we all know here. that. Josh knows it. He just won't admit it. Go get ahead. Here with that I'm sorry, Dave. Sorry, sorry, sorry to get in your way, <laughs> Dave. Go. Um, <laughs> so a couple of people asked the same question, which is, Stipe doesn't want, he's refusing to fight in a small cage. Um, first of all, should he be allowed to? And does he have that privilege as a champ? Um, and, uh, you know, what are your thoughts overall? But multiple people did add a PS here, and it's funny that they all said PS. They said, PS, Josh, don't be a homer. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> they, they have the right to do that, and I can appreciate that as well. Uh, do you want to go first, or do you want, you want me to go first? I, I'll tell you what. Let's take a look at it this way. I brought up the fact that you know, the UFC can, can say what, whatever they want as far as you know, Dana will say, Oh, there's no difference between the 25-foot cage and the 30-foot cage. Bullshit. Exactly. I think, you know, the fights that you have been seeing, and it, it proves there's a difference. There's just less space, and there's less, there's less ways of creating separation and, and movement that is hard to follow. The bigger the space, the harder it is to actually chase somebody or section them off, cut them off. So... That 25-foot cage does make a difference. I do believe since this fight with Stipe and DC is supposed to take place in the Apex Center, I believe that is a huge benefit to DC because DC has said that he's going to wrestle in this third fight with Stipe, which is a smart move by him, and it will give less room for Stipe to move, switch angles on him to get him off at times it will make it a harder fight on stipe i guess there's a couple th but the question was does he have the right to ask the ufc Are he of course he has the right to ask ufc to, to change it to the bigger cage will they do it absolutely no. not absolutely not they will not <laughs> absolutely not. I, I just i mean i don't they just it's not it's not set up they're not going to tear a cage down and put another cage in there for 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 that that round of fights they just won't do it now if they maybe they were going to do it at fight island they i don't know if the same cage is the same size i don't know fight so, island's the 30 foot cage there you go so maybe i mean had he maybe wanted the fight earlier he would have <laughs> you know what i mean but if they're could gonna have done it, it in july yeah, could have done it in dubai but uh that wasn't the case and so the situation didn't present itself look it's going to be a harder fight regardless. I think for both guys, both guys have figured each other out. You're going to yep. see a lot different fight from both fighters. If he thinks that the body shots are going to work on DC this time, there's going to be less of them available there because DC is going to make sure he stays in that clinch at any moment. He's not going to stand in that pocket and be allowed to get hit with body shots. I haven't trained with DC. I haven't seen DC in a, probably a couple months. I'm just simply saying the adjustment I would imagine is going to be by Javier Mendez, Bob Cook is you're either all the way in or you're all the way out. All the way out. You know, and if you're all the way out, we're we're using things to utilize, you know, snatch the leg, waiting for him to commit. Or we're throwing our, you know, our punches with the head kick, even though DC is not, you know, he can get the foot up there still, even at 42 years old. Um, you know, it's one of those fights where. I feel like anytime you have two guys that have had two good fights, DC doing well in the first fight with a knockout, and then uh, Stipe doing well in the second fight, stuffing takedowns. And I actually completely forgot. Someone had reminded me and said in the comments that, you know, Stipe had taken DC down, I think, in the third round. And uh, I completely, it was the third round? Yeah, anyways, he, Stipe was able to get a takedown in yeah. one of the rounds, was able to actually remain the rest of the round on top. 
And that's something that we've continued to tell DC over all the years that you need to start working up on getting up from the bottom, no matter what, because there is one day where you're, they're going to catch a kick and they're going to end up on top. They catch you, take you down, you slip and fall. He's been taken down before. He got taken down by John Jones. I will continue to go back to when you have top caliber athletes like DC is a better athlete, is that he's going to always say that he, oh, I'm not going to get taken down. Josh Koscheck used to say that all the time. GSP ain't taking me down. He took him down at will. I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm not saying Stipe is going to do that. I'm saying that once you know that it's a possibility, it changes the way you approach the fight. And it also, there's guys that like no one in no one in the in the world probably thought Stipe would ever try to shoot on him. But then he realized how tired DC was. It was like, you know what? If I can get this takedown, I can finish the rest of this round on top. And and that worked out for him. And so in that situation, he has definitely made the adjustments from the second fight. Will DC make the adjustments that Stipe made from the first fight, like he did going in the second fight? That's the question. Look, all this, all this other Homer shit aside. DC's got his work cut out for him. No matter how I cut, yes, I can say does. all day he's a better athlete. I can say all day he's got he hits harder. I can say all day that he's obviously a better wrestler. I can say all those things. But what it comes down to, though, also, he's 42 years old. Okay. He hasn't fought in what? It's been over a year now. There's a lot of things that go into play here. The inactivity. Well, neither put, guy has fought, so. Yeah, I okay. understand that. But also, <laughs> DC, I don't know how steep A was with his weight, but DC put a lot of weight on and is now getting it off. Those are not things that are easy to do to your body. Go all the way up, come all the way down. And the traveling he was doing, doing uh, the fight shows and, you know, all this other stuff. There, there's a lot of adjustments being made. Also, this fight is not at his camp. This fight is not at AKA because AKA is closed. So what they are doing is he built a gym in his house and he has the coaches going there with a couple of the guys like Deron Wynn, a couple of the guys coming in to, to wrestle and, and also to spar with, you know, Kyle Crutchmere and some other guys that were there. So this is not going to, I don't know if we're going to see the best of both guys, but we are going to see different, different. We are definitely going to see some changes from the first, from the first two fights. This will not be the same similar fight we saw in the second. It definitely will not be the same similar fight we saw in the first they will make the adjustments. I think it's going to be a knockdown, drag out kind of fight, but it's going to be hard for DC to wrestle for five rounds. Not just because, not, not because it's just in general, it's hard to wrestle for five rounds, period. I don't care if you're 22 or if you're 28 or if you're, if you're 42. I don't know the adjustments that DC is going to make outside of wrestling. He's still going to have to stand. If he doesn't stand, it's going to be a lot harder fight for him. He can't wrestle five rounds without standing and getting in those exchanges like he did in the first fight as well as in the second. I think he got carried away. I do know after talking with his manager, Bob Cook, after talking with some of the trainers and some of his strength and conditioning coaches, in the second fight, he kind of took a couple things for granted. He wasn't, the training was sure it was hard, but you know when guys are training and they're just going through the motions and it's not really what they, what they could be putting out. DC admitted to himself like, yeah, there was times like instead of doing the full pull workout, he was like, yeah, I'm just going to run at home. Okay. And then, you know, you know, the run at home is not the same as the run at the track with everybody else and all the other guys. And with your strength and conditioning coach, those type of things you start to take for granted as you, not just as you get older, but I think also after you finished him the first way he did in the first fight. And we talked a little bit about how Max was coming into his fight. And I feel like a little bit of that was with DC. There are times when guys, even at the upper levels, they take things for granted sometimes. And I don't think DC is going to take it for granted this time. I think you're going to get the best DC you can get. Um, 
I don't know if it's going to be enough to beat Stipe. I think it will be, but it's still going to be a hard, hard fought fight for him. Yep. I, I honestly look at DC needs to take a, a chapter out of a couple of other wrestlers, you know, books and look at where he was successful against Stipe the first time. It was in getting that underhook and controlling the body and throwing things inside that people can't really see. When you're a shorter guy, mm. that inside work works for you. It doesn't work against you. It's tougher when you're the taller guy to get into that clinch work. That's what makes John Jones so good as he does it so well, even against shorter guys. When you're Stipe, I want separation. Yeah. If I can get separation, things are good for me. If DC's into me and is closing and making this, oh, we're both standing inside of a phone booth and now we're fighting, it takes a lot of my advantages away. So it's a matter of, you know, distance is always, you know, that's fighting. Who controls the distance? Stipe should be keeping this fight more towards the outside. DC should be taking and crushing that space. The more he crushes the space, the closer he is to getting a win in my opinion. Yeah. I, I just, I hope the, I hope that the, I hope that, that he doesn't put so much pressure on him to wrestle that it ends up exhausting him out. We've seen it before. Remember Anthony Johnson, I think tried to take DC down and I was just thinking to myself, yeah. what are you doing? But I mean, there, there I've, I've been in these situations where I've tried to get takedowns and sparring with top with good guys. You put so much pressure on yourself to get the takedown. If you don't get it, it's like exhausted. You're just tired. And if DC does, if that starts happening to him in the first, second, and third round, I mean, you could end up seeing, you know, Stipe getting the finish, or you can end up seeing it just being one of those fights where DC just does, is not the same fighter. Stipe, ha Stipe has all the, the ability to stuff the takedowns. We've seen it. He has all the ability to land the, the big shots. We've seen that as well. We've seen it in his past fights. Look, when I compare the two as far as athletes, my comparison is the fact that Stipe to me is faster DC or not City Bay, but DC is faster than him. DC DC is obviously the better wrestler. Um, the athletic wise, on how they they move in the cage, one is very stiff, one is not. The athleticism is there from DC. I feel in those sections. But Stipe, obviously, I feel like he's obviously the bigger guy, has a bigger frame. He's very stiff and rigid, but not to say that he. He doesn't put his combinations to get, he puts his combinations together very well. And the one thing, even though he lost in the first fight by knockout, he's fucking got a granite chin. It was one of those situations that we, he got the turn and when it took a shot and didn't see it coming. And those are didn't the ones that, those are the ones that put you away, but we've seen him walk through or crawl through and gone those shots. We've seen him take big shots from DC also in the second fight. It's going to be a hard fought fight for both. It, I don't think it's going to be similar to either one. And so I think DC, I think DC is going to get a couple takedowns early. He's got to make sure he can maintain the top position and control the top position. And if he doesn't do that and he, he continues to let Stipe up, that's only going to build Stipe's confidence. And it's going to make it harder for him to take him down as the fight goes on because he's older and it is harder to get takedowns as the fight goes on. And Stipe has shown that he can go ahead and weather storms as he did in the last fight and in the, in the third and fourth rounds and go ahead and put it together. This is going to be a good fight. I, 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 even though I am obviously leaning towards DC because he is my boy, and I think he <laughs> is more athletic, but it is really going to be a great fight. It's going to be a phenomenal fight. I just hope we get the best guy. We get, we both get the, we get to see the best two guys in that cage that night 
given the situation with the camps, given the situations of what we're going through, the travel, all the things that come along with this stuff, this COVID situation, I hope we get the best two guys in there, especially for the heavyweight title shot. That's what people want to see. Yep. Next question. Next question. Uh, Adam Gardner asks, what are your thoughts about Dana saying that fighting for the UFC is an opportunity, not a career? Go ahead, John. Oh, no, no. You can have that one. <laughs> I mean, are you... Well, there's other, pro- there's other promotions for fighters to fight in. So they can make a career anytime they want. I think, I think it's kind of shameful that he would say that. Like, what are you, what are you doing this for then? Like, are you trying to build these guys? Are you trying to make, you know, are you trying to make them stars? What are you trying to do? I think if I was a fighter, it's almost like you feel, I should feel blessed that I fight for your organization. And I should, I should feel blessed that I, that I'm fortunate, fortunate enough to get to that level of fighting that competition. But to say that I, I should, that it's an opportunity or it's a, whatever it is for me to fight there. And it's not a career. Well, that's the point of these guys doing this. They want to make a career out of this. That's what their goal was to make it to the UFC. Their goal was to make it to to one FC and Bellator and all the top boards. That's their goal is to make it there. And I can say honestly, the, there's a lot of guys that's been their goal from the moment they stepped in there into the gyms and started training jiu-jitsu or started training uh, kickboxing or boxing, whatever it is. And they said, you know what? I'm the MMA fighter. Almost every fighter's goal, I think, is to get to the UFC. You know, yep. and the fact that this guy is saying that, it lets you know that you as an athlete, you're just a dime a dozen. And I know other NFL and Major League Baseball and all, they all they all think this, those other uh, shows, they all think the same thing. You know, organizations, they think the same thing, but they don't come out and say it, you know, and <laughs> that's what makes a big difference. The, the thing is this, no matter what sport you're in, yeah. athletics is a short lived yeah. career for most. Okay, it's the exception that has a career. I, I tell guys all the time, if you have a 10-year career in MMA, you're doing fantastic. Yeah. You're doing great. Now, there have been guys that have had 20-year careers, okay? You, you look at, you know, we talked about Jim Miller just the other day, 35 fights Jesus. in the UFC itself. So, obviously, he's made a career in the UFC. He had a career before it, and then since coming to the UFC, he has had a stellar career fighting for that promotion animal you you want one of you want your promoter you know in being dana white and since he's in charge of the usa you want him to tell people hey it should be your goal to make the ufc your career that should be your goal you know that that's great but to sit there and say oh this is a place that you come and you fight this is not this is not a place you have a career some people do, some people don't, but it should always be their goal. Yeah, exactly. Like that. Yeah, that was that was very well put. That was way better than I explained it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, I might, my, my if, if I was a fighter as an athlete, as a, if I was a fighter and I heard my promoter say that, I would be a little like, all right, Earth. well, this kind of sucks, man. Like, okay, what am I supposed to do then? I think a lot of these fighters are reevaluating it, like. All right, well, shit, if I lose one, fuck, I'm really out. And we've heard over years fighters say that, like, if I lose, fuck, I could be cut. They've been they've been panicked for years. I mean, there are other organizations now that they can go to, but it, do, it does suck. It does suck that, that that's that's what's coming out of 
out of the organizations, uh, out of the organization from the UFC is coming from the, the, head. The, the head of the organization. Yeah, that's right. And so that that's 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 hard to hear. That's a that's a tough pill to swallow. Uh, you know, being an athlete is not easy as it is, anyways. And then to hear your promoter or the person that's supposed to be promoting you say that type of thing, you're thinking to yourself, "Fuck, I better not fuck up, or I'm out of here, or I'm gone." And it could be done all in you know in drop of a dime. That sucks. That's a shitty situation to be in. So, next one. Uh, Raptor Jesus asks, Big John, have you ever known a ref in the game that was biased or showed some type of favoritism in fights? No. I've never known someone that I believe was purposely biased. You know, it, and the reason, when I say that, you need to understand. Do you if, really believe that? Yeah, <laughs> truly. If I, if I actually thought someone was biased, mm -hmm. I would call them out on it. I would tell the commission that person is biased. He does this, he does that. Now, I'm not saying that guys don't make mistakes. We all make mistakes. We're human, we're gonna make mistakes. But is there a bias behind the mistake? I don't think I've ever seen that there's a true bias, you know, on someone behind a mistake that they've made. You know, it's when you're looking at officials and you're looking at the job they do, you know, it's not an easy job. People think it is until they, they try and do it. And you're always being criticized even when you do things perfect. You could do things absolutely right, but because of the fact that what you did didn't help the fighter that this person wanted, they're going to criticize you. Yeah. You get used to that. When you talk about having you know, a bias is something that is preset in you to do something that would be unfair to one fighter based upon whatever it be, their race, their gender, whatever, you know, their, you know, sexual preference. I don't know, whatever you want to say. I've never seen, you know, I would never, ever even, you know, think that there is somebody out there like that. If it was, I can tell you that the list of officials that you people are used to seeing, you know, the Herb Deans and Jason Herzogs and Mike Beltrans, you know, of the world, Jaron Vallels, they would definitely call them out on it and they would definitely make sure that that person was having a hard time working. I always felt like Herb Dean didn't like me, but, <laughs> uh, but you know, I mean, he, he just so happened to ref like a couple of my fights that I lost. And so obviously you're like, Oh God, I hope he's not my ref. Well, yeah, <laughs> you, you can superstition. You, you know, I want, you know, let, let's talk about it this way. John Jones thinks that I hate him. Right. Yeah. He actually, at one point, you know, when, uh, before, uh, I'm trying to think it was the uh, Daniel Cormier fight. He says he, you know, he came out in the media and said he didn't want me doing his fight. It was because of the fight that he had with Vitor Belfort in Toronto, Canada, where, you know, there was a kick thrown and stuff. You know, it's okay that John, you know, he feels like, oh, you know, he doesn't like me. Is it that I didn't like John? No, I really did like John. And I'll, I'll be flat out honest. John would have lost his world title if I wasn't doing his fight at UFC 165 when he fought Alexander Gustafson. There's not another referee that would have told the, the doctor, no, I'm not stopping the fight, and let him go out for the fifth round and let that fight continue because referees are not going to put their career on the line for the fighter. They're going to say, you want to stop? They're going to do this with their hands and... Fight's going to be over. And Wait, what? Alexander what? Gustafson is Re going to be the winner. Remind me, what happened? <laughs> when John Jones fought Alexander Gustafson, he got hit with, uh, I think it was a, a 
want to say that he got hit with a right hand, but it was on the right eye in the first round, split yeah. his eye open. And he went through the fight, went through the second round, third fight. And the cut got a little bit worse in the third round. At the end of the fourth round, the doctor came in and he looked at me and he says, you know, I, I don't like the way his eyes look. And I think we should stop the fight. Oh. And, and I had looked at it and John had just won the fourth round, you know, came yeah. back because Alexander was winning it. John came back and had won and almost finished Alexander in that fourth round. He was the champion and he's fighting, you know, he had been fighting with that eye the way it was for the entire fight. And never was, you know, dabbing at or anything. And I looked at him, I said, Doc, he just won that last round. I don't think we need to stop this fight. And he goes, I, I, I don't like it. I said, I'll tell you what. We're going to let the fight go on. And if uh, I, I see that, that cut change at all, I'll stop the fight and bring wow. you in. Right? And he says, oh, okay. And he goes out. And to myself, I'm thinking, I am never stopping this fight. <laughs> okay? Because I'm not going to take someone's title based on a cut that, you know, it's not a bad, I know what bad cuts are. And, yeah. you know, not, I'm not saying I'm smarter than the doctor, but when it comes to injuries and fights, I'm smarter than the doctor most of the time, <laughs> especially when it comes to cuts. I know what's a bad cut. I know what's not. And that fight should never have been stopped for that cut at that time. So, but, you know. So that's how much I hated John. You know, you yeah. know I, I basically put my butt on the line because it was the right thing to do. Yeah, fighters are very emotional. Uh, maybe I sure. former being one of them. You know, and it, it's one of those things. Yeah, you just start to think that the ref doesn't like you, or a certain judge doesn't like you, or whatever it is. But the reality is, I like after working side by side with you, calling fights and having conversations around all the refs and a lot of the judges they really they outside of just they love the sport they don't care who wins or loses because their job is not that their job exactly. is exactly to, to score the fight and their job is to make sure that no one gets hurt inside the cage as a ref and and i've sat multiple times with beltran and he's walked up to me like do you know this guy because i've never seen him fight but this guy's you know and what do you know about him and this he he's in the back you know the day before the or the day the day of the fight or the day before hitting me up going hey what do you know about this guy do you know this guy okay and he just wants to make sure that he knows his athletes inside and out. And I got to tell, man, I, I up until the until we started working together, John, I had no idea that that's what you guys did. And yeah. it, it's a whole newfound respect. And for fighters to say, oh, that ref doesn't like me. This ref doesn't like me. I, now I appreciate it, you know. Um, but then I was like, yeah, whatever. Get the hell out of that ref doesn't like me. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's just not, it's simply just not true. And that's the thing. No. Yeah. All right, one more. We'll do one more. Um, uh, Chris Frog asks, uh, Josh, why did you choose fighting? And John, why did you choose refereeing? Uh, as a, as a fighter. So I get on wrestling in college. I was training on the side. I started training when I was probably about seven, 16, 17 years old, 17, uh, at this little tiny gym up in North Idaho in Coeur d'Alene. Uh, Trevor Prangley came in. I don't know. I was probably 18. I think I was 18 at the time, actually started training when I was 18 and then I met a bunch of cool guys and was there. And then I was wrestling in college there at North Idaho college as well with Trevor Prangley and a couple other guys. And we all started training at this gym there, training jiu-jitsu, training a little bit of Muay Thai. And probably within like six months during the summer break, the guy that owned the gym was like, yeah, I get you an MMA fight. And I was, we were all like, all right, well, we don't know what it is, but it paid 150 bucks. Dude, 150 bucks. There you go, man. And at the time and living in Coeur d'Alene, <laughs> Idaho, we were just like, you know, that's a lot of money for us. 
So it was good. I mean, that's kind of how we got into it. As far as, you know, other things, it really just started, it kind of grew and progressed. So I left Coeur Idaho, came down and trained down here with Frank Shamrock, Javier Mendez, mainly Bob Cook. I was training with him and I got, I couldn't afford to live here anymore. So I moved back up to Idaho and I was there for probably about a year, got in some serious, serious trouble and, um, I needed to get away. So I came back down to California and right when all that stuff happened, I had talked to Bob cook and he's like, if you come down here, I will get you some fights. And then I knew financially, he's like financially, he's like, you know, I can't say it's going to be a lot of money. He's like, but it'll be enough to kind of get you by. And I was like, all right. So when I moved down, he was getting me fights and not only was he getting me fights, he was getting me a couple little sponsors here and there. And not to mention, Bob was kind of taking care of me at the time. So it made it a little bit easier. So I got done wrestling in college and I just knew I had a nine to five job working at um, an electronic company and I just did, I just didn't like it. And so I was started tra- I was training all the time at night. Bob was kind of like helping to feed me at night until I had a fight and was taking care of me. And I just, a lot of respect, and a lot of loyalty, you know, on his part and my part to him. And he became, I became probably his first person he ever managed and uh, the rest is history, man. He just, he got me fights. I made, I went from making $300 to $500 to $1,000 and then $1,000 turned into two and two to 2000 and 2000, which for me at the time was a ton of money. And then, um, and then shortly and right in that fight, actually that fight that I fought for two and two, that fight got me side of the UFC. So, you know, a couple fights later after uh, Bob is my manager, I was, I was in the UFC and two, I got signed, I think at the end of 2000, almost 2001. And pretty much once you once I was in the UFC, I was like, dude, I'm, I'm one of the best. I know I can continue to be one of the best. And that's kind of how it all started in a nutshell. Yeah. Mine was pretty simple. I started training with the Gracies. I met Hori in somewhere like 90, 1991, started training with them. Yeah. Fell in love with what they did. I love the fact that it was the first school I ever went to. And I, I had boxed and stuff before, but you went there and it was never, oh, Oh, we can't do that because then someone get hurt. Anything you said, let's do it. And put you in the position, let you stand up and throw, let you grapple, whatever it was. I fell in love with what they did. I started training all the time with Hickson and Hoist. And then uh, later on, this uh, thing came up. It was going to be War of the Worlds. And uh, I was the sparring partner for Hoist because they were getting all these bigger guys to be in it. Uh, then they it was actually a form that you would fill out to be a fighter for this thing. And it turned into ultimate fighting championship. And, uh, but after the very first show, which I was at and I was there with Hoyce and I actually helped with stuff, but I wasn't refereeing because they brought two guys, Jao Bejeto and a guy named Elio Vigio from Brazil were the two referees for the very first show in the UFC. And the very first fight happened. It was Taylor Tuli versus yeah. Gerard Gardot. And, it got stopped by Jao Bejeto, and he wasn't supposed to do that. And Horian came to me, and he said, I need you to do me a favor. I said, yeah, what do you need? He says, I need you to referee for me. And I go, I don't know how to referee. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't. And uh, he goes, no, you'll be great. And my two quali- my real qualification, he goes, look, he says, you know all, this, you know all submissions. You, you, know, you can stand up and fight. You know what these guys are doing, and you don't mind seeing anybody get hurt. <laughs> and so uh, that was my real qualifications. But you know, I did it. Because it was kind of like, well, I have a guy I respect asking me to do it. Yeah. And it was the it was the second greatest gift I was ever given. You know, I, I consider my kids the greatest gift I ever I ever got. 
that was the second greatest one because it changed my life. It, it gave me a career. It took me places that I never would have been. It made me uh, part of things that you know I never expected to be part of, and uh, kept me from fighting, which I would have gotten my ass kicks, you know, quickly somewhere along the way. And I would have been gone early. So it kept me part of a sport that I love for a very long time. So like I said, one of the greatest gifts that was ever given to me. I thought you would have said I was one of the greatest gifts, but whatever. I get it. Well, your friendship is. Yeah. Your, your friendship. <laughs> I'll move it from third to second. Okay. That, uh, the, the referee. <laughs> is, is there any quirky ones in there, Dave? Is there any like quirky ones? Like we can do like a, if there's a goofy quirky one. Yeah. Um, Sean Hester one. asks, who would win in an MMA fight, Big John or Herb Dean? <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen Herb train or did he did he have a fight? He actually had a couple of fights. Did he? Yeah. Was he any good? Yeah. Herb is not bad. You know, he's you know, at one time he was more of a stand-up kickboxer. That's that was where he started out and then uh slowly learned the you know the grappling part and really became more of a grappler in his fights but herb's biggest problem in fighting was not his skill level because he's skilled it was his conditioning level mm. <laughs> he would get tired you know and that, and he lost some fights based upon being tired and stuff but you know I, I never worried about uh you know who would who would win in a fight i don't look at it that way it would never happen because he's yeah. my friend and i wouldn't do that but uh uh, I'll give it to Herb. How's that? That's just being the <laughs> what a gentleman. Humble. There you what go, what a gentleman. I mean, you you've had a lot of like over the years training and stuff. You've had a lot of injuries. I, mean, I don't know if it was from being a cop or from training or what, but like you you had some neck injuries. Yep. What? I mean, I would imagine you probably had some arm injuries too, carrying those big old guns around you had back in the day. <laughs> I gotta tell. I tell everybody. I, I haven't said anyone that I haven't told anybody this, but I want to tell everybody that if you guys ever meet John. And his wife is around. Ask her to show you the picture of him in the white speedos. It's the <laughs> it is the greatest picture of all time. White I tried. Speedos. They're to, not speedos. What are they? they? Dolphin running shorts, man. Come oh, on. what? A, oh, they, they were like they the. They just uh, looked like speedos because I was big and fat. They were the Hooters. <laughs> they were the Hooter type shorts. Yeah, there you go. Let's but, do it, man. Hey, oh man, it's the greatest picture ever. I tried to get her to send it to me. She just wouldn't do it. I tried. I tried. <laughs> I'll but uh, off. it would have been the greatest <laughs> man talking about having blackmail over somebody. Oh, yeah. But uh, if you guys ever run into John and his wife, maybe she'll pull that up on her phone and show it to you guys. It's absolutely <laughs> hilarious. Funny stuff. Um, all right, guys. Well, that's our show for tonight. Uh, we wanted to throw this little show in there for you guys. Cause like we I, we felt like there was some stuff that we missed from Saturday as well as we want to get to fan questions. Cause we haven't done this in a while. And, um, Hey, we thank you guys for tuning in. YouTube, SoundCloud, Google Play, all of those. Hit the thumbs up. Hit the subscribe button. That shares our videos. And we appreciate you guys. Also, ProWrestlingTees.com slash Wayne In. And that will take you to our t-shirts as well. And if you get, what, 20% off for you, use yep. the code PODCAST. And uh, John did a way better job of doing the introduction. I tried to do the follow-up and the finish, and I just... It's told, a beautiful exit. Yeah, I try. I, beautiful. I, 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 I definitely think your entrance was way better. <laughs> but um but hey um we want to thank you guys for tuning in john you got anything for him nah just tell everyone here thanks for uh listening to us and i hope you enjoy all right guys thank you guys take you later <laughs> <laughs>